Good morning. Hi. Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and also 36 through 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay. Good morning. Thank you very much, Angela. Okay. Um, So, we have a lot of work to do with this passage. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. we're going to look at it, and then I'm going to give you another layer sort of to, to lay over it, and then we're going to read it again, and then I'm going to give you another layer, and then we're going to sort of look at it again. Um, and then he does something weird where he tells two parables, and I cut the second one out because we're going to cover that next week. But then he talks to the disciples in secret and gives them the, the meaning of it in secret. Um, all of this is for good reason, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address some of the old interpretations. You may have heard of this. Um, and probably break a few of those and offer one that is, I believe, far more accurate in keeping with the times and that is, that is far more centered on the, the, the hearer in the first century. Okay, so, um, so the first, uh, let's see, where do you want to start? Why don't we start with prayer and then I'm going to jump into uh, to verse 2. We're actually going to go back. I'm going to set a stage for you and then we're going to do this. Is everybody okay? Anybody awake? You can do this. Get your coffee. It's good. It's caffeinated. That's all you need to know. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I ask that you would guide us this morning. Um, help me to communicate clearly. Help me to um, build an accurate description of what was happening in this particular day down by the water's edge. I ask that you would uh, reveal to us how it directly connects to our lives and our world and the work that we are doing here in this church um, and in our city and in our world. Um, give us uh, the right perspective. Give us uh, the right wisdom. Give us... Um, exactly the mercies and the graces that we need right now. Help us to be present and awake and alive. Um, this is all a gift, 
every, every breath that we have, that we pull into our lungs, every article of clothing that we are wearing, the fact that we woke up this morning, all of it is a gift. Help us to respond in a way that is, that is thankful and to receive exactly what you have for us today. In your name, amen. Okay, so if we go back to verse 2, we see this. Uh, Jesus goes down by the water, and there's a massive crowd that gathers in. Verse 2 says, such, a, such large crowds gathered around him that, that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So last week I showed you this picture. This is what's called the Sower's Cove in Capernaum. This is where the people were gathered. Jesus was in a boat right about here. Um, so the question you have to ask is, uh, why did all these people come down to the water? What were they expecting to hear? What were they hoping that this traveling healing rabbi was going to tell them? Now, um, we know the answer to this. Um, they came because they wanted to hear about the kingdom of God. Um, they believed they were on the verge of what's called um, the day of the Lord. Okay? Um, now, the day of the Lord and, and the, the day of the Lord in their mind is the idea that things are going to be set right. That justice will be done. God is going to act swiftly and fix the things that are broken in this world. Now, um, there's a disconnect between how we think about this today and how they thought about it then. Um, if you were here at our reasoning series that I did on hell recently, um, I talked about how the influences of um, Plato, the Gnostics, have sort of weaseled their way into Christianity over, over, the, over the centuries, right? Um, and it's true. If you actually, um, if you actually Google heaven, and you Google that, you're going to get hilarious stuff like this. Okay, that's what you're going to see. Now, I want to be clear. The, the disembodied fly away, earth is destroyed and gone, and we're like wearing white robes and angel wings at the gate. Um, none of this is what the early Jewish second temple hearers of this message would have thought at all. This is not anywhere near what they were thinking. Their mindset was much more down to earth. It was very much um, the restoration of all things. The ultimate plan of God um, was to restore creation to the way it was meant to be. um, And he has chosen the people of Israel to act on his behalf to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And what that means is um, restoring mankind to the office that they were created to be. Sort of think Adam, that whole picture, right? Right. ordering, having dominion, um, uh, living at unity with the world, with God. Um, God is present with us. God is king. We are serving under God. We don't have a human king. Sort of this whole idea. Um, and in their mind, there would come a day when God would act, act to set things right and would establish what's called the kingdom of heaven um, against which all the kingdoms of the earth, which are in their minds idolatrous. They are... They have human kings. They have all this stuff. And we're going to address that a little later on. Um, In their mind, it was the world made right. Things put back the way they were supposed to be. Injustice purged. Peace. um, Us living under God in the office we were created to be in. Okay? So it's a very sort of tangible thing, the kingdom of God. It was going to be very real. It was going to be here. This is how the Second Temple Jews, this is how the early Christians, this is how Paul thought about the kingdom of God when it was going to come. Things being made right. The world being put to rights again. Um, So, um, this is very important because they didn't come to the water to hear a guru give them spiritual ideas. They didn't come to see somebody do a bunch of miracles and magic tricks. They didn't come to hear someone preach a sermon that would inspire them. They came down to the water because they believed that um, 
the Messiah was going to show up any day now and lead the people towards the establishment of this kingdom in the world, okay? And they believed that possibly Jesus might be this Messiah. This has very specific meanings. This means that they believed, I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm going to go down to the water's edge because there's going to be this Messiah there. He said to meet him there. He's going to teach us about the kingdom. And maybe today he'll call us to arms and we will take up our swords and we will overthrow our Roman oppressors and establish the nation of Israel again, the, the uniting of the northern and southern kingdom, all 12 tribes together under God. It's very Jewish, very, very centered on Israel. This is how the, the, all of the text should be, uh, should be read, honestly. Um, so this is what they were expecting. They didn't go down there to hear an inspiring message or some, do see some, a guru or magic tricks, nothing like that. They were ready for the kingdom of God to come and for the world to be made right. We're going to talk about why in a little bit. But, um, so they come down because they believe the kingdom of God was, as Jesus said, at hand. It's about to come. Are we ready to grab our swords and are we, are we ready to, like, to do this thing? Um, and so, they come down to the water and what did they actually hear? Okay, they came to hear a message about the kingdom. So we've established this. Let's look at the text now. Um, the kingdom of heaven, here we go, ready? is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. What is this guy doing on this boat? We, this is supposed to be our moment. If this is the Messiah, he's going to lead us in this revolt, right? Okay, um, verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will will tell the harvesters, first collect the the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay, so um, the first layer that you need to see before you read this passage is, the first layer is very simple. It's, They came to hear about the kingdom of God and how they were about to to establish it led by the Messiah, okay? That's like lens number one. Lens number two you're going to pile on top of this is some very important elements in the story, okay? Um, First off, it talks about these weeds. Uh, You have to understand farm culture in the first century, which, of course, you do um, to understand this passage. And you know this, that that the Greek word for weeds is the word zizania. Everyone say zizania. Okay. Um, it's a specific thing that now we call Darnell. It's a, it's a specific weed that grows over there. Um, it's a complete hazard, honestly, to the, um, to the farmers in that day um, for several reasons. First off, um, in the very early stages, the, the Darnell and the wheat look incredibly similar. Um, you cannot tell one from the other. They so closely resemble the wheat that it's really impossible to distinguish one from the other. Um, so it's not until they grow and are established and growing that you really see what they are. Let me show you a picture here. Um, this is like as they're coming up out of the ground. Very, very similar. Um, the Darnell and the wheat. And this is towards the end when you can actually start to recognize, okay, the wheat has sort of bigger heads on the seeds, um, and it's a little different. Um, but by the time you recognize this, by the time you start to be able to tell them apart, the weeds of the Darnell, their roots have intertwined with the wheat, and you can't pull them out or you're going to uproot the wheat and kill the wheat. So there's a specific way you have to harvest them. You have to wait until they are fully grown. And then you have to harvest it all. And then you can go through and separate the wheat uh, from, the, from, the, from the weeds. 
And you bundle up the weeds, and the weeds are very, very, they were actually useful for one thing. They were incredibly flammable, and they would be used to burn, um, to start fires, to, to, for kindling, all kinds of stuff like that. But other than that, they were useless. On top of that, they were, um, they were poisonous. You had to get every little piece of them out because they were poisonous. They, they wouldn't necessarily kill you, but they were, first off, they had a really bitter taste, so you would know if you got some. Uh, second, they... Um, they, would, they would cause people to break out in hives, rashes. They would make people sick to their stomachs, make vomit, and nausea, all this stuff. Um, so you had to get them out. They were poisonous. So, but the problem is you couldn't just pull them out. So you kind of had to let everything grow, and you kind of had to water it all equally. You kind of had to help it all be healthy so that in the end you could go through and you could separate them out. Now, it is also not surprising that you would see in a story um, that an enemy, in verse 28, an enemy did this. Uh, an enemy, uh, verse 25, while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came in and sowed the weeds among the wheat and went away. Um, that was a normal thing that happened. Um, someone who was like an economic rival, wanted to sell more than you, would plant Darnell seeds, would go, go at night and scatter them all, all over your crops, and they would grow up together. Um, even today, there's like this threat that I read about this week, this threat in like places like Saudi Arabia um, and places in the Middle East where they will, they will threaten to like plant bad seed in your garden. I'm going to put bad seed in your garden. Don't you dare, that kind of stuff. Um, and this is like a threat that people would make. And there's even in Roman law, we have um, written Roman law that, that lays out the punishment for planting Darnell in somebody else's garden. So apparently it was like, it was like a thing, like a trend, some kind of terrorist farmer act. Um, so um, disgruntled ex-employees or something. So this is, this is layer number two. Okay, so now you are familiar with a lot of the imagery used in this passage. Um, So that's layer number two. So the question you have is, what is the message with all these things, with them understanding, with you now understanding they want the kingdom to come, um, and now you know sort of the wheat and and the the darnel, the tares, the, the weeds. Now that you know all this stuff, so now we can read it, and now we can try to grasp what exactly is Jesus telling these people? What exactly is he trying to say? What are they going to hear? How are they going to receive this? How is it going to shift their ideas and their focus about God, about the kingdom of God? Um, First off, one last layer. The people lived a very hard life, the Jewish people in the first century. They were an oppressed minority people. Um, There was a powerful nation, Rome, and Assyria before them, and Babylon before that. It was just never-ending stream of oppressors on the Israelites. And they, every time they gained a, ground, a, a little bit of peace, they would be, be, be crushed again by these massive nations. Um, and they had a lot of questions, questions that you and I have about um, why the world is such a terrible place. Why really evil, powerful people are allowed to continue oppressing others. Why is this allowed to continue? Um, we have plenty of ancient reliefs about that the Caesars would put up to brag about the way that they would treat the Jewish people. Here's a, here's a relief of them um, raiding the temple and stealing all the temple treasures, um, desecrating the temple. Um, there was no end to the things that the Roman Empire would do to the Jewish people. They would overtax them, they would abuse them, push them around. At any whim, the emperors in Rome would exile all the Jews from any particular city, just kick them all out. In 41 AD, um, they were all kicked out of Rome just because the emperor decided, I don't want them here, and kick them out. Um, and, 
and they, they end up being scattered, um, dispersed um, all, over the, all over the empire, all over Israel. Um, and their temple uh, was regularly desecrated all the time. Um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, stands up and talks to them about, here's what to do when a Roman soldier uh, punches you. And here's what to do when they backhand you. Here's what to do when they walk up to you and throw their pack on the ground and, and point you out and demand that you carry their, their pack a mile. Here's what to do when you were being insulted and accused. And Jesus is offering guidance and help because these people had tons and tons of questions about why the world is so terrible. These are questions not different from what we have today. We have lots of questions about why evil is allowed to flourish and why it is allowed to continue, why these terrible regimes are allowed to just grow. These are the questions that the people gathered at the shore that day were, were thinking about. N- none of them were gathered in that moment thinking about how do I get to heaven and how do I not go to hell? They were desperately concerned with their people. Um, they were concerned with the injustice in the world. They were concerned with setting things right. What do we do? Why isn't God acting? Why isn't God, in the book of Romans, he writes about, why isn't God being faithful to us? Okay? And that is the big question. Is he being faithful? Okay? So these are the questions that they were dealing with. Um, the people gathering at that shore that day wanted God to act now and wanted God to act with finality. Um, they wanted God to do something right now and they were wondering, why doesn't the kingdom of God come right now? And so they know the first words out of any Messiah's mouth that shows up and claims to be Messiah, they're going to say, the kingdom of God is here. Now, and here we go. But instead, again, they see this. The kingdom of heaven is, ready, here we go, like a man who sowed seeds in his field. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Okay, so here's the big thing. They're wondering, why isn't the kingdom of God being established now? And Jesus starts off by saying, you're misunderstanding it. The kingdom of God has been planted. It has been sown. It is now here, and it is now growing. Jesus was known for regularly saying the kingdom of God is at hand, is present. It is accessible to you now. But it is not fully grown. It is not here in its full completion of the whole thing. Um, So the kingdom has come. So let's let's look at a few elements in the passage. So first off, um, the wheat being planted, the seeds of wheat being planted, the good crop represents the kingdom of God in this story. So put yourself in the mind of the ancient um, Jewish person in the first century gathered to hear the story. The kingdom of God is the wheat that is planted. It is planted, it is growing. Second, um, there is um, the servants. Uh, You see it right here in verse 27. I'm going to underline it in verse 27. Uh, The owner's servants came to him. So the servants, all through the New Testament, whenever you see the word servant, that's usually a reference to Israel, the servant of God. Um, It's a way that they would always talk about themselves. We are here to serve God, to usher salvation into this world, to save the Gentiles. Um, (coughs) So... This is, uh, the servant was um, the people of Israel, and they are put here to serve the master, like Adam in the garden, guiding things towards growth, towards goodness, under the direction of their only king. Now, there's another element. There is the weeds, the zizania, the darnel plants. Um, uh, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your fields? You sowed the kingdom in your field. You You sowed your kingdom in this world, right? Yes, I did. Well, then where did these weeds come from? Where did all these other kingdoms come from? That is the question that they would have. If you planted your, king, your, your, seed, your kingdom here, in this world, what are all these other things doing growing? What, 
Why did Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and Rome, why do these things exist? Um, This is the conversation that they are having. Um, So they, they are growing, they're planted, but they're not planted at the direction of the master and they're not planted by the servants. And there's this mysterious sort of evil presence here, right? Um, where's that? Okay, verse 25. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, this is important to understand. There's this mysterious enemy who works under the cover of darkness. Um, and it's, it's, even the language of it is mysterious. Um, they're not named. They're not seen. Uh, they're not even numbered. Not even told how many there are. It's just an enemy. And they're planting this other ideas, these seeds, these kingdoms of the world. Um, the Jewish people fully understand what's going on here. Um, they had stories that they would tell all the time about the enemy coming in and sneaking new things in. Now, um, so there's all that going on. And he says, basically, these other kingdoms that are springing up are at the will of the enemy. And these other kingdoms, they have their own kings. And they are idolatrous. Because humans were made to be ruled by God. God and man, direct, um, linked, and us being guided by God. Um, but these kingdoms that are planted are not ruled by God. They are ruled by these evil emperors, these evil kings, these evil pharaohs um, who are claiming in that ancient world to be gods. So they're all, it's just like the Darnell plants. They're trying to look exactly like the kingdom of God. And what are they promising? These kingdoms of the world. Even today, they promise world peace, um, economic success. They promise power and security and safety. Um, They promise happiness that through our ways, you can pursue and find happiness. And Jesus says, that's all kingdom language, but they're fake. They are not the kingdom of God, none of them. You were never meant to be ruled by them. You were meant to be directly connected to the one true God and guided by the spirit of God every single day as you move through this world. Um, And then there's this conversation because the servants say, well, well, why don't you, do you do you want us to pull them all up? Do you want us to go and, you know what this is? Think about that. There's these kingdoms of the world and the servants goes to the master, God, and says, do you want us to pull these weeds out? Do you want us to grab our swords and our shields and our spears, our weaponry, our rifles, our tanks, and do you want us to destroy all these empires and take them all down because they don't represent you? Is that what you want us to do? And the master says, Of course not. And here's why. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the weed and bring it into my barn. Um, There is this conversation that that Jesus sort of lays out there that says, if you go about um, your old ways of declaring they're bad and going to destroy them, you're going to destroy the weed as well. If you charge into the world and you say, there's bad, there's bad, there's bad, there's bad, and you go just destroy all the bad, um, Jesus is sort of arguing, you you don't have a perfect mind, and a lot of times the good are going to be wiped out as well. And I'm like, so what do we do? If we can't just go in and uproot all the bad and and throw them in the fire and destroy it, then what do we do? He says, says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to nourish the entire field. We're going to feed everyone. We're going to water everyone. We're going to, the entire thing. We are going to um, spread out and we're going to work this entire field. The citizens of the good kingdom, the kingdom of God, 
the servants, Israel. They're going to spread and they're going to move throughout the entire field and they're going to water every bit of it and they're going to make sure it's as healthy as it can possibly be. And you're going to realize that it's not your job to do um, God's work of the judgment and the tearing down. Because you probably don't have good judgment. How often have you declared something about somebody and then found out that you were wildly wrong? How often have you said, um, you know, we tell people, you know, all kinds of people. You tell people on the left, they're heretics. You tell people on the right, they're bigots. And you just, you say this so you can ignore all of their arguments. And you're just destroying, laying waste to entire swaths of people. But when you do this, chances are you're hurting a lot of people who are actually doing the work of God, who are actually doing and planting the kingdom of God. And what you don't realize is that it's entirely possible that you yourself are taking part in the idolatry of this world, being led by human kings down roads you ought not to go. And so Jesus stands there on the shoreline with all these eager Jews ready, ready to wipe out Rome. And he says, this is not what we're going to do. And in fact, later on, um, you get to the next passage here. Um, we're not going to go through this whole thing because he just, he comes, he, he basically gathers the disciples in alone and explains the whole thing to them, everything that I just said. Um, and he makes sure that they know, and it's not you that are going to rip up the weeds. It's the angels. It's just not you. It's not your responsibility at all. You are here to serve and to work. Now, this passage has been interpreted for really, for a while now, in a very individualistic way. Um, we, have, we have removed the focus of the New Testament text from the story of God's people, a nation, a massive group of people who are oppressed and writing texts from an oppressed position, calling out for justice and mercy, calling out for help from God. Um, and they had a specific reason for writing everything because they were in, in, in desperate need for God to act and work and, and restore the things in this world because they were suffering. Um, so this is the way the early writers of the scripture would, would call out to God. Um, they would talk about salvation in a way that was, that was for the world. Um, they would talk about ideas like election, like Israel is called. Um, so here's what happened now. The reason that they wrote, the things that they wrote, is because they were connected to power in a particular way. They were, their relationship with power is that they, it was pressing down upon them. They were against it. Okay? By the third century... Christianity changed dramatically. Um, Constantine makes Christianity the, the religion of the empire. And then, by that point, when Augustine starts writing and stuff like this, you, you have this whole different relationship between Christianity and power that is removed from its original mindset. The Christians were no longer being oppressed by anyone. They no longer had a struggle in the same sense that God's people have always had. And with a lack of a struggle, they started reading the Bible and interpreting it in vastly different ways. Um, they moved from this public national struggle and trusting in God to set things to rights um, to a personal inward spiritual struggle that was individualistic and not about the community. And this is a huge shift in Christian theology. It was a massive shift. Um, And we can see this looking back now, exactly how this happened. Um, So here's the thing. When Israel talked about salvation, 
They talked about the restoration of the world. These, these pagan, idolatrous nations, these fake godlike nations, that some of them even wrap themselves in the message of God, they will be taken down and, and God's kingdom will reign worldwide for the rest of eternity. Now, um, the way that they talked about... So let me actually go forward to Augustine. The way, the way, the way the Christians for the last, you know, 1,500 years have talked about this is um, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a tangible struggle. It's all a spiritual struggle, right? It's all just about me and my spiritual struggle. And salvation is not about the restoration of the world. Salvation is about flying away to the clouds and the destruction of the world. That God intends to abandon his creation and the whole thing. And that tends to be a lens through which a lot of Christians today and for a while now have read the Bible. Um, And then they use terms like election and predestination, and they say, and some people are predestined and elect to go to heaven and fly away, and others are predestined and elect to burn in hell forever. Um, But that's not how the writers of Scripture use the passage. When the entire book of Romans, when it talks about election, you know what it's talking about? The people of God chosen to serve God in this world and bring salvation to the world. They were chosen. And as it went on, remnants remained while some became unfaithful. And the ones that were unfaithful, God allowed that. And the remnants always remained. And so in this passage, when we, when we talk about, uh, when we read things like, and the, the weeds are going to be gathered up and thrown in the fire. And the rest of it, the wheat's going to be gathered up and it's going to be put and it's going to shine. Like, when we think about that, um, in the modern day, we tend to think, oh, this is a story about like, I literally heard it interpreted like this uh, when I was growing up, that in every group of Christians, there's a bunch of non-Christians and we don't know who they are and they don't know who they are, but one day they will be gathered and thrown in hell and the rest of us will not. And that is how it was interpreted. Maybe that was how it was interpreted for you. That is not even close to what the original hearers of this passage were thinking about. This passage is not about anything like that. This passage is about the work of God to restore things to the way that they should be. Jesus coming, setting up his kingdom, um, us living under King Jesus, the, the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and nobody else is, and that these nations of the world will fall. So when you read about, so what is all this talk of like burning though? Like why is it talking about burning? That's a really great question. It's an important question. Um, and when you look back through church history, when you look back through human history, what happens when empires fall? They burn. This is not about individual people being put on a spittoon and like, in like, in like spun, spittoon, that's not the right word, and, and being spun and burnt. Um, this, is about, this is about the idolatrous nations of the world um, claiming that they can do the things that God can do, um, and, and they can't, and they're idolatrous. Okay, now... Um, let's go back to, oh, and, and it's always, it's always been like this. I mean, even today, if we go back to, uh, we go back to Germany in 1945 in Cologne. This is what happens when empires rise up and promise these things, they end up failing and falling because mankind was not meant to be ruled in this way. We were meant to be connected to God and to follow God in this way. What are you saying? Or we should, should we, ra- should we just destroy all the kings of the world? No, that's, Jesus literally addresses this. The, the, the action that Christians should be taking is first off to recognize that the church is made up of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we are worldwide. And we are together a community of, the, uh, of citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we have been planted and we are growing. And the kingdoms of this world will fall. 
They just will. They always have. They always will. But the kingdom of God will always remain because it is built on different things. It is built on different foundations. And we are not following fake leaders promising the things that the kingdom of God promises. We are being led by Jesus. So what do we do? Um, We nourish the entire crop. We look at the whole thing and we realize that like the field is going to grow and we should spread out and we should minister in it. We should take part in this, in the growth of these things. And in the end, God will work and God will do God's thing. And what Jesus is doing here is he is offering these people hope. He says, look, I know you don't, you don't understand why God is waiting and you think God has not done anything, but I want you to know the kingdom of God has been planted. The kingdom of God is growing. Um, there, is, there is nothing for you necessarily to worry about. You can be at peace and you can be present here in this world and you can live as resident aliens in this land and you can serve your king and you will establish the kingdom of God in this place. That is your job. Water it. It is not your job to determine whether or not this... Not, so, so we should strive to be healthy. We should strive to have healthy churches. Um, we should strive for um, the things of the kingdom of God now, justice, mercy. Um, we should strive to relieve suffering in this world. We should strive for healing um, and wholeness um, and family and all of it. We should strive for all of these things. Um, that is our response. Remember... The very beginning of scriptures, you have a serpent in a garden. What is the first thing, the first temptation mankind ever had? You will be like God. Eat this fruit. You will be like God. What does that mean? You know what that means? You can usurp the throne. You can usurp that throne. You can be led by people. You can lead people. You can do God's work. You can be the presence of God in in a way that like usurps the throne of God. This is the same argument that was made... um, by the Israelites, when, the, when, when they're setting up the kingdom of Israel, and they say, what do we want? We want a human king. And God's like, you don't want a human king. We do. We want a human king. That is the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent. It is the exact same story. It's all the same thing over and over and over. We want kingdoms of this world. We want to be just like every other kingdom. And he says, but those kingdoms are idolatrous. Why don't you just be led by me? That is what the church is supposed to be. That's what we were always intended to be. Resident aliens in this world. In our own land. Um, Our brothers and sisters, our uh, fellow citizens around the world gathered this very morning doing the same thing that we're doing. Proclaiming Jesus is Lord and no one else is. And our reaction to these things, to, to misfortune in the world and all this is not violence. It is patience. It is hope. And it is devotion to our king even more so. Um, all of this should be really very encouraging, honestly. It should be hopeful. Because what Jesus is saying is like, it is not your job to make sure these kingdoms rise and fall and all that. And he says, I, I've got this. I'll take care of this. I have a plan. I will win in the end. You have a specific job. You are the servants of the master. You will work in the field. You will plant the kingdom of God. You will help all of it grow. Um, if you try to rip out all the bad and throw it in the fire right now, you're going to make some mistakes. Anytime an empire falls, the church always suffers as well. Every single time. Um, 
He says, and that's not your job. So all of this, all of these parables are about the kingdom of God, and it's a message for a people that were desperate and that needed hope. And, and Jesus gives them that hope. He says, things will be made whole again. Here's your responsibility. I got the rest. Don't do what's in your heart, what you really desire to do, which is take up the sword or the guns and, 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 and make it all right that way. That is never, we're going to do this in a whole different way. It ends up being the cross. We're going to move into a time of communion. Our communion servers, you guys can take the elements and spread around the room. Communion is incredibly important because this is the representation of how salvation enters into the world. Um, it is not in the ways of the empires of the world. It was through actually taking the sins of those worlds, uh, of the world, of those empires, and of the Jewish people, of all people, upon himself and suffering under the weight of it, hanging under the weight of it and saying, I could act right now and wipe this all out, but in my mercy, I'm going to take your suffering upon myself and I'm going to die the death that I do not deserve. Um, and this, this cross action, this is how salvation enters into the world. And so we as Christians, we gather, we declare Jesus is Lord and no one else is. We try to align ourselves um, with the teachings of Jesus as best we can and follow Lord Jesus as best we can. And we regularly, every time we come together, take a piece of bread. We break it, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. We dip it in the wine, symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for you. And we eat it. We take it inside of us to remind us this is how salvation comes into the world. Our Savior, Jesus, broken and poured out for us and inviting us to do the same. And so we come to the table and we receive the life of God and the death of God. And we decide to follow and we allow ourselves to be broken and poured out for the world as well. This is how it works. One last thought I want to leave you with. Um, uh, in N.T. Wright, in his, um, in his passage on this, he's, he describes the end of it like this. He says, We wait with patience like people in the morning who know that the sun has risen and are now awaiting for the full brightness of midday. I love that. It's early morning. We're in the field. We know the sun. It is daylight now. We can't quite see the sun yet. It is rising. That is how we think of the kingdom of God. It's here, but it's still coming. The fullness of it will appear. And so we work towards that. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this place and these people. I ask that you would guide us um, towards your wholeness. I ask that you would uh, um, teach us patience and love and restraint. Teach us um, what it means to truly um, follow your kingdom. Teach us what it means to really understand that Jesus is Lord. Help us to understand that that also means that no one else is. Help us not to put our faith in these earthly things, in these pagan nations, in these idolatrous ideas. Help us to follow you, God present with us, Emmanuel, God with us, as our king. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.